Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And as we listen to this uh, sermon this morning, I pray that you'll work in our hearts, enlivening us, Lord, giving us a new passion for the lost and for the evangelism that you've called us to do in your great commission. Lord, may Oasis Church be awakened and given a new mission by you, each of us as individuals, Lord, but as a group of believers as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the message this morning, as you can see up there, the title is Eyewitnesses. Uh, And we're going to see how we move from apprentices to journeymen. And we have three things that we're going to focus on from our text, which is from Acts chapter 1, where Jesus tells some things to his disciples. And they are these, you know, I bestow, you go. So people have a lot of ideas about what the church should be like. There are so many varieties of worship styles, preaching styles, buildings, children and youth programs, outreaches, Bible studies. All of those things can have great variety. And people have opinions on all of those things, believe it or not. But many people just want a sincere, loving environment where the love of Christ is evident and they feel a sense of community. In trying to articulate their idea of what a church should be, sometimes people say something like this. You know, I just want a New Testament church. Why can't the church just be like it was in the New Testament That might be a good point. Do you want to have a New Testament church? Anybody? What does that mean? Well, let's talk for a moment about what some of the New Testament churches were like and see what we can learn from them. So some people say, I want an Acts 2 church. That's when Pentecost broke out. And so people will say they want an Acts 2 church. Who wants an Acts 2 church? So next Sunday, if you want an Acts church, please bring all vehicle titles, land deeds, cash on hand, and close your bank accounts. Bring the funds to the church, and the church leaders will distribute the money and see all your needs are taken care of. Also, from now on, you may as well have all your paychecks sent directly to me, I mean the church. Uh, because from now on, we're going to have an Acts 2 church, because in Acts 2.44, we see that they were actually living in a socialistic way. They all believed together and had all things in common. Who still wants an Acts 2 church? What? That's not what you wanted? Okay, let's look at some of the other churches in the New Testament. Which one do we want to be like then? The Roman church? Would you like to be persecuted and in hiding, struggling to uh, with how to disciple the many homosexuals who have become Christians but yet still don't understand how to be living as Christians? Or how about the church in Corinth? Who does who we don't want a church like that, right? Uh, There was quarreling. There were people dissatisfied with Paul's leadership. They were challenging Paul's authority. They were trying to set up their own leadership. There was open sexual immorality. And Paul wrote to them about these things. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul addresses not only sexual immorality, but the fact that people were proud to have a great sinner among them. In the Galatian church, there were people preaching a false gospel. And many were putting aside the grace of God in favor of law. In Ephesus, there was sorcery and disunity. In Philippi, there were people who were competing in ministry. Paul wrote, some indeed preached Christ from envy and rivalry. There was legalism there. And two women became famous for all time because of their rivalry. And Paul wrote in Philippians 4.2, I entreat you, Idia, and I treat Syncate to agree in the Lord. 
How would you like that as your claim to fame, by the way? The church in Colossae had false teachings. The New Testament church was not the perfect utopia church that is often romantically thought of by modern Christians. The church then, as now, was made up of human beings with a sinful nature, many of whom never seemed to get a full grasp and right balance of God's grace and holiness. Or perhaps finding the balance between living in freedom from the consequences of sin and not being legalistic. Or perhaps even knowing the difference between pursuing holiness versus legalism. Holiness is trying to keep the clear instructions of God in how we live. And legalism is making up rules outside of scripture to impose on ourselves or others. Making attempts to follow God's rules is not legalism. It is pursuing holiness. And this has been a struggle for the church since its beginnings. It's still a struggle today. The only way to have a complete understanding is to commit ourselves to the study of God's word as well as a dedication to keeping God's word and applying God's word in our lives. When we look at the book of Acts, we must realize that by studying the beginnings of the church, we can learn very wonderful things about the power of God that he wants to work in and through us for his glory and for expanding the kingdom. And we can also learn what some of the challenges of the early church were so that we can avoid some of the issues they went through. The story of the church is the story of human beings who are imperfect, who are used in mighty ways by God despite their imperfections. We will see that those with great sincerity of faith and a true brokenness before God are given grace for their failings and given opportunities for service, while those who desire to use their positions for power, for influence, or to make money will be rebuked and sometimes dealt with severely. All of those things are spoken of in the book of Acts. What's the book of Acts all about? Well, Luke wrote that book, and there's agreement that it was a second part of a story that Luke began telling in his gospel. Where the gospel of Luke tells of the ministry of Christ, the book of Acts tells of the apostles continuing their work. And the title of that book, Acts, is abbreviated from some Bibles that have a longer title that says the Acts of the Apostles, right? However, it's been suggested that a better title might be the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, since the Holy Spirit was the source of the power and guidance to the early church It was still God working, but through people. There are many Christians who, if you mention the book of Acts, the first thought they have is the Holy Spirit. That's not a bad thing, because certainly Acts records the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and his empowerment of the early believers. However, we must always look at Scripture with an understanding of the original intent of the author, in this case, Luke. And Luke does not seem to be writing in order to bring glory to the Holy Spirit, even though he clearly records and tells us the Holy Spirit was key. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ. The Holy Spirit points to Christ. And Luke is also writing in order to bring attention to and to glorify Jesus Christ. So the book of Acts is a book that records the beginnings of Christ's church with Jesus sending the Holy Spirit, Jesus filling people with the Spirit, and the Spirit empowering people to do great and mighty things for the sake of Jesus Christ. 
The purpose of all of it is to glorify Christ. All for Jesus. His message carried out by his followers who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out a life that they're called to live and who boldly declare the gospel, the euangelion, to a world that desperately needs it. It is all about Jesus. It is about what he did on the cross and his burial and resurrection and how his gospel expanded and grew in an even greater way. His miracles and signs increased in an even greater way. His followers were increased in numbers in a greater way than in the ministry of Christ himself. And this should not surprise us because Jesus had promised that this would happen. In John 14, 12, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the father. Jesus also promised the Holy Spirit a few sentences later in chapter 14, verse 15 to 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And again in 1426, John writes, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. At the end of Luke's gospel, he leaves us with some final words of Jesus at the ascension, that is when Jesus was taken up. In verse 40, uh, Luke 24, verse 44, he records, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So all of these statements by Jesus and his instructions and his promises are pointing to a time when the Holy Spirit will come. Jesus calls him helper, comforter. Jesus has not completed all he's going to do. Now he is commissioning the apostles to continue the work until he returns again. All who repent and put faith in Jesus today are also given the privilege of carrying on his work in our world. And all believers can experience the same empowerment of the Holy Spirit that we will be learning about uh, in this lesson this morning Even that empowerment does not come in all the same ways for all people. So what we see could be likened to an apprentice becoming a journeyman. In many trades or occupations, a person learns his job by becoming an apprentice. The apprentice studies under a skilled professional, sometimes for a period of years, until the time when they're now ready to work unassisted and unsupervised. In many trades, the title changes from apprentice to journeyman. The journeyman can do the work on his own and eventually takes on apprentices of his or her own. So the disciple of Jesus, after spending about 
three, the disciples that Jesus spent three years with, now they were working with him day by day, seeing how he handled different situations. They were learning the trade, so to speak. And now after seeing Jesus resurrected from the dead and hearing his final words to them, they are being told that they are now the journeymen. They are now ready to do the work that they were learning to do over the past few years. They were ready and also commissioned to do the work. Just as a tradesman today may need some official certification in order to do this work, the apostles and disciples also needed that. So Jesus says, the certificate is in the mail. Not many days from now, you will have everything you need to do the work. So wait, and when the Holy Spirit comes, then get busy. So let us take a look at how Jesus told them about the empowerment they would receive. In Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 1, he writes, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood behind them or stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So there's three points again this morning. Jesus tells the disciples, you know, I bestow, you go. First off, Jesus says, you know, verses four and five, Jesus said, you heard from me. He's saying, you know, I have told you. Now I remind you, you are going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. This is an incredible change from the Old Testament to the New, by the way, the Old Covenant to the New Testament Covenant. In the Old Covenant, only certain people, prophets and kings or priests, were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is about to be poured out on all flesh, as we learn in Acts 2. Jesus is saying like the journeyman to an apprentice, I've taught you all you need to know in order to do the work. Now it's time for you to take it on. Just as any field of professionals needs to always have people waiting in the wings to take over the work, Jesus has prepared and is also going to equip his people to do the work. I bestow. So Jesus had said that he would send the promise of the Father. The promise was found in the Old Testament and covenant, and particularly through the prophet Joel. The Father promised through the prophets, and Jesus is the one sending the Holy Spirit in fulfillment of that promise. 
Jesus bestows upon us the Holy Spirit. Why? To glorify himself. When the people of God are empowered by the Holy Spirit and use that empowerment to expand the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ is magnified. Jesus Christ is glorified. This is God's will for the church. Being empowered with the Holy Spirit is a great privilege. It gives us the ability to do God's work. And it also gives us the power to have victory over sin in our lives. Jesus bestows the Holy Spirit for us to be witnesses for him. But the Holy Spirit is also our helper. He helps us to win the battle with our sinful nature. We remember from Christmas that Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. Well, just as Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us, the Holy Spirit is God in us. God in us makes us able to beat the war with our sinful nature and to be assured of our victory in spiritual warfare. Jesus bestows upon us the Holy Spirit. When I read Ephesians with all the challenges that Paul gives there to live in unity, to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, I realize this is impossible on our own. It's impossible with man, but with God, nothing is impossible. And in the Holy Spirit, God is, the Holy Spirit is God in us, and so nothing is impossible. This is the power of God, that in Christ's death, he defeated sin. And in Christ's resurrection, he defeated death. That power is in us. And if only we could realize the power in us, we wouldn't feel discouraged when we receive the high calling of living out the faith. We wouldn't feel inadequate in our personal battle with sin. We wouldn't feel apprehensive about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in our world. We wouldn't despair over all the current events that cause us to wonder if God is in all of this. We wouldn't allow petty disagreements to cause friction and separation in our relationships with other Christians. We wouldn't be put off by the insistence of God's holy scripture that we're to live lives that are holy because God in heaven is holy. Jesus Christ bestowed upon us the Holy Spirit. We have the power of God in us. We have the power to do everything that our profession of faith in Jesus Christ requires. We have the victory. And finally, Jesus says, go, go, go and do the work that I've called you to do. Go and preach the gospel. Go and make disciples. Go in the confidence that in the end, no matter what happens in the meantime, no matter what we go through, Jesus says, I am with you. And when we have the Holy Spirit in us, that is the power of God in us. And the power of God in us, the Holy Spirit who dwells in us or lives in us, will glorify Jesus Christ. Jesus' final words recorded before ascending to heaven is to be witnesses. And that is what we are to do. Be witnesses. We have the power of God in us to be his witnesses. This means we can share our testimony. Even if we haven't learned all the theology yet. We can pray for healing. Even when the sickness is great. We can be encouraged in our time of trial. We can bring euangelion the good news. We can expect the power of God to flow through us and impact the world around us. We can go to Nineveh and expect our message to be heard, received, and heeded because it is the message of God. 
It is spelled out here in scripture. We can do this. When we get a full understanding of the power of God, the same power that Jesus had in him, in his ministry, when we begin to grasp that that's the same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus when Satan tempted him in the wilderness, and that's the same Holy Spirit that's in us, if Jesus had the power to turn away from temptation, then so do we. And this is the euangelion, the good news. And finally, after Jesus ascends, here are the disciples staring into heaven and messengers of God say, hey, quit standing around, get to work. That's my paraphrase, the, the Jason paraphrase. Okay, so God's messenger says today, what are you waiting for? Jesus will be back. In the meantime, go do the work that he gave you to do. The years of apprenticeship are over. You are a journeyman now. It's your job to do the Lord's work. If we spend all of our time gazing into heaven and waiting for his return and neglect to do the work he's called us to do, we are not at all reaching our full potential in Christ. Any tradesman will tell you, though, that the training doesn't end when the apprenticeship is over. And a pilot would probably tell you the same thing. The training goes on, right? Every good professional in any job anywhere who is successful continues training throughout their whole life. We are expected to grow and go. Continue to grow by studying the word, praying, and serving. I'm not any expert on electrical circuitry, but I can tell you that any electrician who has never continued in training, who is using the same tools and processes he did 30 years ago, will not have the same success and be a leader in his field. People who excel in their careers are those who keep striving to be the best, to keep learning, to keep improving. Many Christians are the same way. They came to Christ years ago, eager to serve God, but unaware of the power of God available to all believers. The Holy Spirit, God in us. So they never went any deeper in their faith. They never went any deeper in their understanding. The prophet Hosea spoke for God when he said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. I heard someone say once that regrettably, many Christians have had one year of growth 40 years in a row. But God wants us to grow. He wants us to be eager to learn more about him and his ways. He wants our relationship with him to go deeper and deeper. He wants it so much that he gave us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us understand scripture. The Holy Spirit speaks truth to us, but the Holy Spirit can only work as well as we allow him to work. If we allow him free reign in us, what wonderful things we will do for the kingdom of God. What miracles we will see. What numbers of people coming to a saving knowledge of faith in Jesus Christ. What peace we will feel in our hearts when we realize we have the power of God in us to beat temptation, to speak loudly and boldly and to do the work of God. What joy we will fill in our souls. What love for others will be evident to the world. What unity our body of Christ will have. What damage we can do to Satan's kingdom and what building up of God's kingdom. We can do it. God empowers us. God is in us. 
I called this sermon Eyewitnesses. The story of Acts is an eyewitness story of the miracles, the persecutions, the rapid expansion of the numbers of saved people. It is the story of a violent persecutor being humbled and becoming the greatest evangelist and teacher of all times. It's about people who had doubt and fear becoming bold witnesses for their Lord. It's also about some people who were insincere and cunning and money hungry and self-serving while pretending to be holy. The story of Acts is the story of imperfect people being used in mighty ways in the service of Almighty God, the Maker, the Creator. The grace of God that not only forgives us sin, but puts righteousness into the repentant person. Not only does he impute righteousness, he sanctifies us. Not only that, he empowers us. And most importantly, he uses us. Do you want to be an eyewitness to these things? I started out talking about the New Testament church. There was power there. There was the miraculous there. There was excitement there. There was unity. There was a common purpose. There was a mission-minded church. But there were also some negatives as well. Could be compared to a family trip. Most of you at some point have been on a family trip. Maybe your family is very sanctified and it all goes very nicely all the time. And there's never quarrels or frustrations. I sort of doubt that's the case. In tight quarters together, we see the good, the bad, and the ugly of our family. We at Oasis Church are a family as well. And the more time we spend together, the more we will see the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was not different in the early church. People manipulated, they've sought influence and power, they had disagreements. These are all part of family life and struggle. But in it, the power of God went forth. Some of the most unworthy people were used as God's instruments to expand his kingdom. You still want a New Testament church? I do. Because you could take all the negative things I mentioned, all of the strife and conflict and selfishness, all of which are the marks of our sinful nature, but take all of it and witness one miracle. Take all of the negative and see one lost person come to Christ. Take all of the negative in light of our dedication and service to lifting up the name of Jesus Christ and count it a privilege. The apostles and writers of the New Testament considered it a privilege. Despite all of those things, to serve our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so do I. Despite the frustrations that can sometimes come from being part of a church family, I count it a privilege to serve my Lord. I am privileged to be a witness to the healing power of God. I've seen him heal both physically and emotionally. I count it a privilege to see how lives can be changed by the Lord. I count it a privilege. Nothing can go through that we can go through will override this simple fact that those who have put a saving faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, who have turned towards him as their own righteousness, have access to the very power of God in us. I pray that you will sense the power of God in you, that you would make a decision to take the next step in your walk of faith, whatever that is, that you would embrace the life of Christ as your own and the death of Christ as your own and his resurrection as your guarantee for eternal life. I pray that you would get a sense of the awesome power of God available to you by his gift of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would remember that in the end, it isn't about you or me. It is about Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the great I am.
Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, we marvel and are overwhelmed by the goodness and graciousness that you have shown us. Lord, it is an amazing thing that you've done to provide a way of salvation to worthless sinners like me. And Lord, we confess that we often fall short. We often don't do the things you've called us to do. Sometimes we're standing there looking up in the air like those apostles and we need someone to tell us to get to work. We confess that, Lord. But we're thankful, Lord, that you've given us the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Lord, that you've called us to continue the work that you began. And so, Lord, we ask you to help us. We ask that you would give us a sense of the power of the Holy Spirit in our own lives and hearts. That when we feel overwhelmed by the things you've called us to do, that we would feel the power of the Holy Spirit within us, propelling us forward and empowering us and comforting us and being our helper. Lord, it's an amazing thing indeed that you've done for us. May we have a better sense each day of how magnificent your plan of salvation is and what a privilege it is for us to share it with others. May you do it in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.